So last summer, I did an internship at a church out in Vancouver, or just out, about an hour outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. And that was the first time where I was preaching every week for a period of time. And what I found very quickly is when you spend an entire week on one passage of scripture, God reveals a lot. And it doesn't always fit into a sermon. And so pretty early on in my time out there, I began starting with just a couple minutes before I preach, just to share a little bit of how God was working in my heart throughout that week. Um, just to share some of what God is doing, how God is moving. And so um, that's what I'm going to do here with this sermon that I prepared. Just uh, yeah. So this morning I'll start by talking about something that's not always easy to talk about, and that is lament. Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow to God. In our lives, it can be tough to lament when we live in a culture whose fundamental belief is the pursuit of happiness. A culture that tells us to suck it up and to put on a happy face or to don't worry, be happy. Don't get me wrong, that's a catchy song. And there might be a piece of truth there, but I wonder if we can truly be happy if we do not deal with our sorrows well. Sometimes we struggle with lament because many of us in church see any emotion expressed to God other that isn't positive as ungrateful or disrespectful to God. For these reasons and others, the more recent church has not done lament in worship very well. It's not always easy to engage in lament or express our grief to the Lord if we're not in a season of lament. And it can be un unfamiliar and difficult for us to bring these feelings to God, even when we are in a season of lament. We're out of practice, and it can feel uncomfortable. Like it can be difficult to go through a lament service if we're joyful, for those that are going through a season of lament, our regular can be difficult if the regular service can be difficult because we often focus on joy and praise. In a worship service, we are not all in the same place emotionally. But it's important to practice and grow in different forms of worship to the Lord. I pray that the Spirit continues to move in those that suffer, and that they feel comforted knowing that our God suffers too in the most real way he suffered on the cross, and he loves us. Over half the psalms are psalms of lament. It's very important to be honest with God, with our feelings. He knows them anyway. And his including more than half the psalms as psalms of lament is evidence that he wants us to bring our feelings to him honestly, even if they aren't perfect. Lamenting together is also a part of being the body of Christ. Though we may not feel lament or joy, as we lift up these emotions to God, we can empathize with our brothers and sisters in the pews beside us that are feeling these ways who are in those seasons that are different from us. We can lift them up to God. 
And those of us in difficult times in our lives can feel God's love as we feel lifted up by those surrounding us. This is what it means to do communal worship. Otherwise, it's just individual worship together. So in our passage today, we see both of these extremes of emotions, joy and lament. At the beginning of the book of Ruth, Naomi expresses lament over her circumstance. And at the end of the book, her community expresses joy and praise to God on her behalf. Both laments and joys brought honestly to the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, 1 through 5, and chapter 4, 13 through 17. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They are Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malin and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Ruth 4, 13 through 17 reads as follows. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given, birth to, given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray that you prepare our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, Lord, for your message. We pray that you would Prepare our hearts to humbly receive your word, Lord. To look into our, eye, our hearts, Lord, to search our life, to see where and how this word speaks to us individually. Let our hearts be attentive. We pray this in your name. Amen. Geneva was at home 
when she received the phone call from a friend. Are you sitting down? Her friend asked. We found William. Geneva's heart sank. She felt as if her life had emptied out of her. The tone in her friend's voice had already told the tale. But the friend proceeded in any way, not wanting to cloud the moment with undue introduction. William's been shot. Instant wailing and continual wailing. Rhythmed yelps and screams that would curdle your insides. Geneva rocked back and forth, inconsolable, wailing continuously. William died, and Geneva was left without her son. Empty. This emptiness and then some was known all too well by Naomi, as we heard in our text today. The story begins with empty land. Bethlehem in Hebrew means the house of bread. But it is ironically empty of its nourishment. There's a famine in the land, and the famine is so bad that they have to pick up and leave their home and all that they knew and go to a foreign land. And so we are told a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and two sons, Malin and Kilian, leave their homeland in Bethlehem and Judah to live temporarily in Moab. Moab is a land east of the Jordan River, which is not Israelite territory. While there, Elimelech dies, and Malin and Kilian marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then both Malin and Kilian die too. There are very few details given in this passage, just the bare facts given succinctly. So quickly that perhaps we can gloss over the gravity of the experience. The passage simply reads, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her sons. And then shortly thereafter, both Malin and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. From this, we can pick up two things. First is that Naomi is the focal point of this story. In a patriarchal society, it is rare that a man would be referred to by being the husband of a woman. These deaths are being described in relation to Naomi. Despite being named Ruth, this book is introduced and concluded by narratives focusing on Naomi. This leads us to understand that she is the true main character of this story. God wants our attention to be on his works in the life of Naomi. Secondly, we must be careful that the enormity of what Naomi experienced is not lost in the shortness of this text. Despite the brief description in her passage, the narrator goes on to tell us exactly how she feels. Naomi is so immersed in her grief in verse 20 and 21, she chooses to be identified by it. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. This loss goes even beyond our cultural understanding. In their time and place, women were dependent on their husband and children to care for them through old age. Not only had she lost her loved ones, but she'd also lost her guardians. There is no doubt that the fields of Moab echoed with the rhythmic yelps and continual wailing that came from this grieving wife and mother. After this experience, in the words of our passage, Naomi was left without. And in her own words, she was left empty. Today, too, the loss of a child, the loss of any life, can powerfully and profoundly illustrate the emptiness that humans can feel. Renardo's father and uncle were part of a well-known gang in Detroit. Growing up in this atmosphere around the gang, Renardo was dubbed the boy. He was selling heroin by the time he was 12 years old. And his life took a dramatic turn for the worse when his grandmother, who taught him how to drive and taught him how to cook, whom he described as his life, was brutally murdered for the $40 in her purse. Bernardo's grandmother died and he was left empty. Because of this, his tolerance for people was zero. In his words, he carried a gun and he didn't value his own life, so he certainly didn't value the lives of others. He ended up killing a man and received a life sentence with no possibility for parole. Our text today and my examples have painted pictures of significant traumatic events that have caused emptiness in people's lives. But this emptiness is no less profound when it comes about in less spectacular ways in our own lives. We too can often feel lifeless and empty. We can see our emptiness pictured in Naomi's emptiness and Geneva's emptiness and Renardo's emptiness. As if we are missing something so integral to who we are, like a parent, a spouse, or a child. Like Naomi, this emptiness can come out of circumstance, the terrible things that have happened to us, or perhaps the terrible things that we have done, or maybe just because of the way things are. For some of us, this emptiness may leave us feeling hurt, angry, and frustrated. And for others, we may feel guilty or shame. This emptiness can arise out of any number of causes, but they can all be traced back to Adam. God does not want us to be hurt or to face the emptiness we see Naomi, we see Naomi encounter. It is not how he designed this world, but rather it is a result of the fall. When humans decided to live for themselves apart from God, to follow their own ways, and we all feel the consequences to this day in our fallen world. 
We all have God-shaped holes in our heart. Romans 8 says that the whole creation is groaning. But we may struggle to identify or recognize this emptiness within us. Because these hurts may not be as striking as those that Naomi experienced. But perhaps we can identify with or recognize the empty things that we turn to in our attempt to fill ourselves. This emptiness can lead us in all the wrong directions. Stop a minute and reflect. We often idolize money, power, success, sex, glory, gluttony, relationships, and stuff. Or perhaps rather than trying to fill ourselves with something else, we turn to substance abuse or games or a virtual life on the internet to forget the emptiness that's found in this world. The full life God desires for us cannot be found in a promotion at work or at the bottom of a bottle or on the internet or a trendy new fashion or a full bank account, respect from your friends, or the many other things that we try to buy to make us happy. In our emptiness, it's easy to mistakenly chase the wrong things to fill us, but in the end, we are just as powerless to affect our redemption as Naomi was. In the face of this emptiness, our souls cry out in rhythmic yelps and continual wailing, whether we are listening or not. But in our trouble, we can turn back to the word of God, and we can see God working to restore Naomi to fullness. After being emptied by the loss of her husband and two sons, God's process of filling Naomi begins as she returns to Bethlehem, the house of bread, the promised land. One of her daughter-in-law's, Ruth, a Moabite, returns with Naomi to Bethlehem as a foreigner. With no means of support, Ruth gleans grain from the fields to provide for herself and for Naomi. As God would have it, she would glean from the fields belonging to Boaz, a man of high standing in Bethlehem. And she immediately catches his eye. Boaz shows gratitude for her courage to come to a foreign country and care for Naomi, a widow. Boaz feeds her a meal and gives her grain to bring home. And then he tells her to continue to glean from his fields where it is safe. Now, at this point, it's important to explain a Jewish custom. In those times, if a man died and left his wife, the next of kin, or the closest living relative, would be required to marry the widow and raise up offspring for that relative that had died. This is known as being a guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer. Now, Naomi recognized that Boaz is, in fact, a relative of Elimelech and therefore a guardian redeemer for Ruth. And also she saw the way God had brought them together and the relationship that he had kindled. In time, Naomi dresses Ruth up and sends her to sleep at the foot of the bed of Boaz, 
This was the cultural equivalent of making the first move. And Boaz is indeed interested, but there's one redeemer in line before Boaz. And so Boaz confronts this man as to whether he is willing to be the guardian redeemer, but he turns it down. And this allows Boaz to buy all Elimelech's property, acquiring Ruth as his wife to maintain Elimelech's family line. Ruth became Boaz's wife, and the Lord enabled her to conceive a son to carry on Elimelech's line, a grandson for Naomi named Obed. In Hebrew, Obed means one who serves or server, one to fill her, renew her life, and sustain her in her old age, to serve her. The end of the book of Ruth reveals that Obed goes on to father Jesse, who is the father of King David. The Lord God brought Naomi from the depths of emptiness in a foreign land without son and husband to fullness through Ruth and Boaz by providing her with a son, Obed. A son born in Bethlehem, guardian redeemer of Naomi, restoring her from empty to full, giving her hope for the future, one to provide and care for her. Sound familiar? The guardian redeemer who brought Naomi from emptiness to fullness foreshadows the ultimate guardian redeemer who brings us from emptiness to fullness. Like Obed, born in the town of Bethlehem, he restores us from emptiness to fullness giving us hope for the future, one to provide and care for us. He is the seed of King David, the grandson of Obed. He is God that came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to be our guardian redeemer and to fill us from empty to full. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus himself tells us his purpose. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But this Redeemer goes far beyond providing for us on earth. Jesus Christ is our guardian Redeemer, reconciling us to God through his work on the cross, filling us not only in this life, but eternally. So for the emptiness in our lives to be filled, let us turn to our guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit and embrace our relationship with the source of life and fullness. Paul describes this in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, when he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And again, Jesus tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
It is only in the power of this guardian redeemer, Jesus Christ, that stories such as Renardo's or Geneva's or ours can be restored. In prison, God worked powerfully in Renardo's life, changing his values and the way he understood life. Renardo gave his life to Jesus, and he pursued an education and spent time in the law library. And he discovered an issue with his case, and the judgment was overturned, and he was set free after 23 years in prison. Renardo got a job at a wellness center as a certified peer support specialist. Renardo was contacted by the mother of the man that he shot. This mother was Geneva. God worked in her, filling her empty heart. God led her to contact Renardo to let him know that she had completely forgiven him. As Renardo says, I did a terrible wrong to her, but God moved in her to forgive me. Geneva says, he lost his grandmother, and I lost my son, and we're trying to mend together. She has become his mother, and he her son, and they see each other two to three times a week. Renardo met a woman, and they were married, and Geneva was there. And when Renardo and his wife had their first child, Renardo Jr., Geneva was there. About Renardo Jr., Geneva says, Make no mistake, that's my grandbaby. I'm his god-grandmother, with a smile full beyond description. Brought from empty to full. Geneva says, Not everyone sees it the way I do. They forgive him but cannot be around him. But I can. And to this, Renardo says, anything is possible if you believe. This kind of radical redemption from emptiness to fullness, as we've heard about in Geneva and Renardo, can only come through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only in experiencing His fullness that one can be moved to redemption with the very one that caused the emptiness in the first place. Now, at this point, we must be careful not to misunderstand the story of Naomi. This does not mean that we will get all that we want if we believe in Jesus Christ. Naomi certainly didn't get what she wanted. She had lost her husband and her two children. But what it does mean is that we will be filled to the measure of fullness God has created us for. And this happiness comes on God's time. Or fullness, sorry. Fullness regardless of circumstance. So we can let go of these things that we seek to fill ourselves. If God can reach into the depths of emptiness experienced by Naomi, Renardo, and Geneva and bring radical filling, how much more can he fill our emptiness? For those of us feeling empty, hear with fresh ears these words, from King David, the grandson of Obed. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your redeeming love and your compassion on us. Thank you that you meet us where we are at in our lament and grief, as well as our joys and praise, whether we are empty or full. Lord God, we pray for all those here today, those that are currently experiencing tough times, those that struggle to bring their laments to you well. We pray, Lord, that they would turn to you in your word and in relationship through prayer to both find the words they need to express their feelings in the Psalms, but also to find comfort in you, the loving God that has suffered here on earth and empathizes with us in real ways with our grief. Lord, we also pray for those who have experienced grief in the past. We pray that they have and continue to bring those times to you with honest feelings, with an understanding of who you are and what you have done in mind. And turning to you, we pray that all people grow in the fullness that comes only in you. We have patience that you work on your time. Lord, we give you thanks for being our kinsman redeemer when we are in the midst of the troubles that this world throws at us so that we can find true flourishing fullness in you, so that our cups run over when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Glory and praise be to you. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.